Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Hello, and welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. And today we are talking to Eric Pinos, business development lead at Orange Protocol. Eric describes the start of his crypto journey while at MIT, where he joined the MIT Bitcoin Club, eventually leading him to the Blockchain Education Network, where he serves as president. He also points to the seed for identity and on-chain credentials being planted there too, having his diploma issued on the Bitcoin network. Eric joined Ontology soon after graduating college, where he cut his teeth in decentralized identity and data, helping to expand their ecosystem. About Orange Protocol, he says, DAOs are interested in civil resistance, proving that someone is unique and an active contributor. Orange is nurturing these use cases and providing ways for Web3 projects to use reputation-weighted voting and creating value-aligned incentives through a variety of campaigns that measure social contributions, public goods funding, and governance activity. Orange enables Web3 contributors to build their on-chain history. He also points to a recent campaign that Orange hosted with TalentDAO, where reputation NFTs were provisioned to contributors who had participated across a variety of Web3 activities, such as Snapshot, POAP, Gitcoin Grants, Panvala Stamps, and Twitter and Discord too. Lots to unpack here. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, MIT. We had the um, MIT Bitcoin airdrop. It was a cross-campus initiative to get Bitcoin in the hands of every student. So it was uh, $100 worth of Bitcoin was airdropped to um, every student at the time. And Bitcoin was $200, so every student got half of Bitcoin for free. And the initiative of that was to kind of kick off like uh, a Bitcoin economy on campus. You know, the school store started accepting Bitcoin. We got a Bitcoin ATM. Some of the restaurants down Mass Ave started accepting Bitcoin. And we started the MIT Bitcoin Club for people to like get together and, and to talk about it. Um, so then, you know, I, I was involved a little bit. Most of it's just like buying Bitcoin, holding it, like working on Bitcoin payment technology. Like, you know, there wasn't really too much that you could do with it. Um, besides either working on the Bitcoin core development or working on infrastructure for accepting Bitcoin as payments. Uh, then Ethereum came out. And so it became a lot more about the smart contracts and taking applications and decentralizing the way that it's run. So that's got me very interested in it, uh, especially around 2017 when Decentraland came out and we brought them to speak at the club a couple of times. So I became very interested in metaverse-based projects and virtual reality-based projects like NFTs that represent virtual land and then assets and wearables and uh, gaming items inside these worlds represented by those uh, by NFTs. Um, so after graduating, I got involved with uh, an investment firm for a little bit. And then I joined Ontology, which does uh, decentralized identity. 
Uh, and that was my interest in 2018, 2019, getting into decentralized identity. I also ran or still run the Blockchain Education Network, which is a global nonprofit that educates, so creates courses and videos, tutorials, resources for university and high school students to learn more about blockchain. Um, and now working with Humpty and Gloria on Orange, which focuses on the decentralized reputation element of decentralized identity. So we're focusing a lot on um, the use cases for decentralized reputation, everything from credit scores to for rewards, things like token gating communities and reputation weighted voting. That's cool. Thanks for the intro. Um, Sounds like an interesting path, but probably, uh, you know, a path many of us take uh, when you mentioned kind of learning about Bitcoin, uh, followed by Ethereum, and then eventually virtual land. I would consider myself probably a novice when it comes to the latter, although definitely still learning all of the, <laughs> all of the above. Um, and then also in terms of your experience and path you took, it seems like there's been a focus in education right? Especially from the lens of what you've been doing over at Ben, uh, followed by then kind of a focus on identity and reputation from Ontology and Orange. Walk me through kind of the, 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 the mindset, I guess, or really how you uh, were, you became that contributor to Ben, because I'm always really interested to learn uh, from other people who value education in this space, uh, kind of what is uh, that inspiration and really what was the kind of the uh, motivation or I guess the way that you were uh, connected to that project? Yeah, so I became president of the, um, the MIT Bitcoin Club because I wanted uh, I wanted a way, like honestly, like I wanted something that would stand out, right? Especially like thinking about applying to like blockchain-based jobs or like here's a, here's a leadership position I could take on in my local community that'll then like stand out and help um, helped me with like later job prospects. Uh, but then growing the community was, was really nice and we were able to bring in big speakers. And this was, um, this was actually, this was the bull market of 2017. So, you know, for, for years, like the club would be five people, 10 people, 12 people. And then all of a sudden this year we'd have like 80, 90, a hundred people showing up to every, every meeting. We had to get bigger rooms. We had to order more pizza. And so it was, a, it was an interesting time to be a leader in the community because the size and the growth and the, and the budget and, and um, the agenda and right, the items you go over. Uh, and so when I was a student, I got to lean on the Blockchain Education Network. So the mm -hmm. Blockchain Education Network got started back in 2014 as well as a coalition of different blockchain clubs at different universities. And so through that network, I was able to meet other presidents at other schools or other clubs. So that was cool for me seeing other people going through the same experience. Because before that, like, aside from the six, seven people in the club, uh, all of my friends in crypto were online or on Reddit, right? So being able to meet other people in person, especially going to conferences uh, and meeting other students and meeting just like general community members that are interested in, in blockchain in the real world, I think that left an impact on me. So that, that made me want to after graduating, take on a position at the Blockchain Education Network to uh, keep that going, right, for the next generation of students. That's awesome. I think that that kind of speaks to something that I've noticed uh, in the Web3 space, and that's like emergent leadership, right? Uh, but also something else that I've noticed is the value of in-person relationships. I think when it comes to Web3, it's very much driven by these virtual connections, right? 
uh, in terms of like our relationships with people uh, on Telegram, on Discord, on Twitter, wherever. Uh, but certainly, I think there's a lot to kind of um, say about like that uh, in-person connection. And having just come back myself from MCON, I saw the uh, kind of the value of those connections or the way that you can just uh, multiply the energy and the collaborations that may already be going on virtually. But when you meet up in person, it's, it's just like, okay, what else can we do? So that's incredible to, to, to see that these in-person experiences were both uh, kind of supportive uh, or, you know, played a role in your uh, crypto journey, but also that you discovered kind of your role within it to kind of lead and keep that moving forward. So let's then talk about your introduction to uh, ontology, because you talk about how followed by Ben, you uh, joined the ontology team. Why don't you describe to us a little bit about what is ontology uh, and some of the work that they're doing and your role in it? Uh, Yeah, so I think that my introduction to decentralized identity, MIT does this cool thing where when you graduate, you get your diploma signed on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, And I think it's optional. And this was in 2017 for me. They did it a few years before, but I definitely opted in to to get that. And so I had to install this app called BlockCerts, which was created as a collaboration between the MIT Media Lab and then um, some startup, which I can't remember the name of, but they, they created the this digital credentialing platform called BlockCerts. And so we got the MIT diploma signed on there. So that got me interested in the idea of like decentralized identity and verifiable credentials. So I started looking at projects in the space that were working on that kind of technology. So that's when I got interested in ontology because of OntID and then all of these like applications in it. But what I also liked about ontology was that they were focused a lot on, um, enterprise use cases for that kind of technology, stuff like supply chain, stuff like healthcare, you know, medical records, uh, academic credentialing, insurance, title registry. So I thought that was really cool. So that's when I got involved and that's when I joined the, the team. And I think what our our learnings has been over the years has has been that one, like I think those use cases are still valid, but I think the enterprises are also very slow to adoption and it's very difficult to roll out a full blockchain system um, at an enterprise level. That's why these enterprises prefer uh, like half blockchain systems, right? like permission ledgers, like hyperledger solutions. They don't, they don't want to just completely shift everything, um, which is kind of hard. You kind of have to go all the way if you really want to get the full benefits of a blockchain. So I think it's shifted to be more like community focused. And that's also where my interest shifts is more like, okay, grassroots, like growing things from the ground and starting these up new projects and new communities and new startups that adopt these principles of decentralization and, and um, decentralized credentialing like from the get-go. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, probably isn't so widely recognized about ontology is its kind of breadth of work in the decentralized identity space. And I should mention, you know, uh, before we get too deep into here, uh, as a disclaimer, uh, I am also uh, involved as a contributor at Ontology and at Orange Protocol, which are the two projects, or at least the projects that we're discussing now. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting to kind of see at least some of the reactions 
that uh, the community receives when they hear about the uh, kind of different types of work that Ontology has done in terms of technical development, both uh, in terms of development of like DIDs, uh, but also in terms of like applications that use DIDs. Uh, I am curious to hear from you uh, as someone that I I know is uh, has been for a long time involved in development of products at Ontology. What are some of the kind of the interesting use cases uh, of you know of DID at Ontology? And I I heard you mention kind of some of the challenges at the institutional adoption level, but maybe more generally talk about some of the challenges for uh, you know, kind of creating some of these products around uh, de- decentralized identity? Um, I think that the challenges are always the, um, the last mile problem, right? Like the, the entry, like at some point, external data has to enter the blockchain. Uh, and so that's solved through oracles, right? Like oracles kind of take care of that. Um, but before they got really big, people didn't really know how to do that. Like if you look at it for like supply chain, right? And if somebody... If you have a, a supply chain, blockchain, everything's tracked on the blockchain. How do you register something onto the chain? Like if you're if you're transporting um, Louis Vuitton bags, like sure, you put the serial number on the on the chain, but then somebody somewhere has to type in that serial number and then imprint it, right, or mint it as a as a credential on chain. So that's still a point of failure, right? Like you could bribe that person. That doesn't solve the issue at hand. And then what if you have something like sand where you're transporting like sand or like water and it's like, how do you, you can't, you don't have like serial numbers. Like, I guess you have serial numbers for the jars, but it's just like a very difficult problem of figuring out for things that exist in the real world. Or like, if you have like a title registry for like land, um, you know, and uh, you have a, a house deed, and you put that on the blockchain, like somebody still has to go and put that in. Somebody has to have right permissions to to go and do that. So, so, so I I tend to I like the the use cases more that are entirely blockchain native, like uh, a credential that comes from the blockchain, right? Like on chain activity, uh, issuing out a reputation credential based off your on chain activity, or like credit scores, which is all like digital. I kind of think that those use cases. Um, will happen more or will happen first before we can really have the robustness needed to solve these uh, these problems of how do you write real world things onto the chain? Yeah. So what do you think uh, is keeping maybe the adoption of some of these things that uh, you've described, right? Is it uh, the technology, like the accessibility of it? Is it the at the application layer? Like, what do you think is... Uh, maybe holding back some adoption, or maybe even like, what do you think is facilitating some of the recent attention and maybe increased adoption of this technology? Um, yeah, it's interesting for enterprise because a lot of projects have already adopted it. Uh, blockchain, right? Like uh, Walmart uses blockchain already. You know, if you go on DocuSign, you sign a legal document, you can enable the blockchain option to sign your DocuSign document on a blockchain. But people don't really use it, right? Like I think that it's it's interesting because there's if if we want people to know that they're using blockchain front and center, then the tools definitely have to be easier, right? Like there's a lot of great services and decentralized alternatives to centralized services like signing legal documents or managing communities, um, streaming payments, and you know like uh, payroll platforms all on chain. Like those all exist today. But it's very difficult to use them because you need to know how to use MetaMask and you need to have your own 
private key and you have to keep your private key safe. And people aren't used to that. People are used to username, password, right? Most people don't even have Chrome extensions installed besides like ad blockers. So mm -hmm. I think that there's a big barrier because to use blockchain stuff is, is very different from just regular, how people regularly browse the internet or interact with day-to-day -day services. So the UIs have to get easier. Um, mm. And we might have to revert back to like, you know, that's why people like custodians because it's simple. It's like a username, password. And then, so yeah, so I think the UIs need to get easier. And then two, I don't know if it's solved through education or through um, changing the way that, you know, having like insurance services, because I think a lot of people, I think people want decentralization as like a principle, but then when something goes wrong, people either like want their money back or they, they want someone to blame uh, or they want customer support, right? Which you don't really get in blockchain. Like I have, I have friends that work at MetaMask and they say that the worst job in the world is to work in MetaMask support because people call them all the time demanding their money back. And it's like, we don't have it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that there's a big education gap in, in understanding how these blockchain services work. Uh, and so for adoption to happen, we definitely need to close the gap there. We need to make the UI easier. And for the most part, I think blockchain should just be a, a background technology, right? We should make these services easy to use that people don't even realize that they're using a blockchain. They're just uh, experiencing the benefits of it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. I think um, we we do a great job at talking about the technology and the protocols and, you know, the different standards. But we, I don't think, do as equal a good job about talking about the applications and the use case, right? Um, it's as if, you know, we were talking about using Facebook, but Facebook was talking about how it leverages TCP IP and HTTPS and all of these different protocols in order to allow you to make connections with people online. Um, they're really just talking about like the social layer and how you can connect with people and friends around the world and, you know, kind of build these connections. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's definitely uh, still kind of a lot of, um, I guess, room for improvement in terms of how we communicate uh, the value of the technology we're building, but doing so through kind of these narratives of their actual use case and, and how they're really helping people do things better than they already do it now. Um, so it's truly interested in, in looking at that, especially as we look at the ownership economy, right? Versus, you know, where we are, the product and, uh, that gets monetized on the back end. So maybe now is a good time to kind of lean into some of the other work that you're doing over at Orange Protocol and how, uh, Orange sees the kind of the, I guess, the evolution of Web3 through the ownership of our identities and then building out our reputation on these identities on chain uh, or off chain, as a uh, as as uh, Orange uh, also uh, uses uh, different technologies to do that. Uh, why don't you give us an introduction to Orange generally, and then maybe talk about some of the things that are happening there now? Okay, so Orange is a, a decentralized reputation protocol that um, focuses a lot on creating a platform where people can come and create models or plug in data sources, right? And, and um, kind of design their own reputation system. 
um, for a community or for their user base. Um, and it's for a, it could be for a, a variety of different use cases. But I, I think like, so it's a general purpose platform, right? Anybody can come and create a model for whatever it is that they want to measure. And then Orange is adding in all these different data sources, both on-chain and off-chain stuff like on-chain activity history, you know, off-chain voting history, even like social media interactions that can be used to create more robust uh, reputation scores. Now, for the use cases, something I think is like you said is that we're very like focused on the use case. Right? Like what is the, the use of these? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think initially, initially it started out as just like a, like a general it, it started out as like as a general like idea like this is something that should exist right like people should have their their reputation uh, decentralized and they should have their credentials decentralized, but I think what we've seen over the years is that people aren't so interested in that. Um, you know, like if you if you have a, a diploma and you mint it on chain, like you can do that now. But then what employers are looking at that? Most employers are happy just to look at your LinkedIn or they, they want you to send it over in a PDF, right? So you have to think about like, what are the use cases where people want to decentralize identity now? And what we've seen is in, um, in these DAOs and these communities, like people want to recognize, especially for things like civil resistance, where you want to prove someone's unique. And when someone's interacting with you on chain from a wallet address, there's only so many ways you can do that. Uh, either through like a mix of of um, social verification where people are verifying each other, or you could do like a hard KYC where someone uploads a passport. But if you do that, then we don't want to recreate the old systems where people are just emailing photocopies of passports back and forth, right? We want to use decentralized identity to make that more robust. So you're just sharing the proofs, and that way everyone's data stays safe. So I think you know our focus at at Orange has been on on uh, nurturing these use cases, everything from reputation-weighted voting uh, to just rewards for the community members. Like we've done a couple of campaigns now where if you qualify based off of a certain reputation model, which measures things like your your social contribution to a particular DAO, to your donations, to the Web3 space, to how active you are in voting uh, on snapshot proposals, you can earn these different badges that kind of build up your your Web3 contributor history, almost like a GitHub where you can see like your contribution history. Um, and that can go many ways. Like we have projects interested in using those badges for token gating uh, communities. We have projects interested in using those badges for reputation weighted voting. Um, we have interest projects interested in using those badges for uh, extra rewards and like future airdrops. So that's what we're excited to work with the community on is more ideas for what uh, the use cases for these things are. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I really like framing the discussions, uh, especially just because I personally have been, um, at least for over a year now, uh, supporting projects that are building in the space of decentralized identity and now reputation. like to frame this from, you know, I guess, uh, uh, I guess things that are more accessible in terms of like the use case as you've described it. Why don't uh, you describe to us uh, maybe some of these uh, campaigns that maybe uh, have opened uh, recently or are open now and uh, share with us maybe some of the ways that uh, these use cases then are are 
kind of executed on, right? So if someone joins a campaign, like you said, has met some sort of uh, minimum kind of reputation based on the models, what is it that they can do afterwards with that? So uh, the campaign that we're doing right now is with TalentDAO. TalentDAO is a, a decentralized science community of um, academics, researchers, uh, you know, thought leaders, contributors, writers, um, kind of the, like the forefront of the DeSci space. We're very excited to work with them. And so the drop that we're doing now is three different badges that we designed and we designed the models and we refined the models and we did data analysis on these models over the past few months to create these models that represent three key contribution areas in the Web3 space. So the first one is on Discord activity, right? So like, you know that everyone uses Discord, DAOs use Discord to manage their communities. So we kind of want to reward uh, users that contribute a lot uh, to grow a Discord. So uh, joining the Discord gives you a boost because the score starts at zero, right? And you work your way up. So if you join the Discord, that's bonus points. If, if you retweet a link to the Discord, that's bonus points. If you help promote the Discord, you know, the, the model outlines like what all the parameters are. But if you reach above a certain score, much like a credit score, then you become eligible for that batch. So you can go and mint that NFT batch. Uh, based off of that score. The other model is the the voter model. And so that's for um, uh, a voter batch. So that one measures your activity on snapshot. So are you an active, are you an active citizen, right? Like, do you turn out for votes? Do you, do you vote a lot on snapshot proposals across all the different snapshot spaces? Um, and do you create proposals too, right? So if you create proposals, um, and then also, are you active in the forums? Um, well, the, the forums in this case, as in like these Twitter spaces or, you know, basically the way we measure that is through pull-ups, right? So we integrated pull-ups. So the more pull-ups you have, the more active you've been in the Web3 community. So that'll bring your score up to be eligible for that badge. And the last badge is the donor badge. So that one, we recognize people that have donated to Gitcoin. So Gitcoin is doing Gitcoin grants round 15 right now. Um, so the more rounds you've participated in, the higher score is for that batch, the donor batch. So it doesn't matter you know, how much you've donated because we don't want to measure just pure amount because different people can donate different amounts. But we do want to measure, we did want to measure uh, how often you turn up. Do you, do you come each time? Have you been a part of this for a while? Like if you been active participating each each time they've done a round. Um, and then we also included Panbala stamps. So Panbala is another community of, of supporting Web3 projects that are creating public goods. And they do it through Panbala stamps, where you can collect Panbala stamps by completing tasks for different projects and then get them redeemed um, to donate to, to projects. So we measure how many Panbala stamps you have. So it's three badges based off of three models that we worked and refined. And this is just the first season of it. Um, we want to do more and we want to make the models more complex and more uh, take into account more factors and create new types of models and create new types of badges. Um, and right now they're just collectibles, but the idea is to start using them for token gating. So we have a, we have a collaboration with Collab Land. We have an integration where you can use those badges to create Discord channels and then lock access to the Discord channels unless you have those mm -hmm. badges in your wallet. 
So we're creating one in the Talent DAO Discord where if you have these badges, you'll get access to a special channel. So you can see that you can network and connect with the other people that have also reached the, the same level as you. Yeah, I'm personally very excited about these um these like model driven or yeah these 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 web3 data driven uh applications right uh, at orange with these campaigns and these drops um more so than the social stuff i i i agree there's value in like the social uh contributorship in terms of like you know either attending some sort of event or um you know uh, getting some sort of pop from from that attendance. I, but I really like the idea of like really digging deep into one's reputation in an organization based on meaningful interactions. And obviously meaningful is uh, very much, uh, you know, a subjective point of view. Uh, but I like kind of looking at someone's support through like Gitcoin grants, for instance. Um, I think that's a really deep... Uh, and meaningful connection with an organization because you are helping to support that public good, if you will, uh, through that platform. Uh, you're basically um, providing some sort of funding for that project to continue to grow and develop. Uh, Panvala Stamps, right? Just another project that is very much building uh, around communities. Um, and so facilitating that type of marketing spend as Niran, who we recently had on the show, uh, described to us, right, the box tops uh, on top of the cereal box. Uh, but instead of like doing this, you know, for schools, you're doing it for DAOs, though their vision is certainly to go beyond uh, Web3 projects. But for now, looking at that data to be able to support uh, some sort of like recognition and maybe even uh, remuneration of uh, individual contributors in a DAO uh, even if that means something as uh, you know as 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 non-financial as as opening up access to different channels within a Discord. Uh, personally, I'm very kind of fond of the idea of like reducing the financialization of crypto uh, and building out these like less uh, financial uh, elements and ways to engage communities. So, what are your thoughts, I guess, on that in terms of you know uh, crypto, Web three, uh, and how? Uh, identity and reputation can help to uh, evolve that? Or do you think that we need something else in order to create a more robust ecosystem beyond just kind of the financialization of it? Um, I mean, I think I think we need the robust tools uh, for the whole system to, to work. Like, I think that it's, it's funny because, I, okay, I think, it, I think it works both ways. I think one is that the financialization at the end of the day is what makes something really take off. And I've seen that. I mean, I wrote a whole post about that for uh, as part of like the ontology, an ontology identity series. Um, Financialize like NFTs were around for many years, right? And you can make them and you can use them and you can do what you want with them. Um, but until it became like very easy to just mint them at scale and people started buying them and the tools and infrastructure was in place, right? Like these marketplaces and these no code minters, that's when it really took off because people saw the money you can make from it. Same with DeFi, right? You could use Uniswap, you can use, you can go and lend on Av and you can do the service for what it's intended for. But then yield farming came and then that's when uh, 
that's when it really took off in terms of like liquidity and people getting their interest in it. Um, and also, you know, so, so I think that it, it, for better or for worse, it's the same with like DAOs and decentralized identity. Like when you figure out how to monetize DAOs, that's when everybody's going to create a DAO, right? You're going to see everyone making those. Um, but I think it's, it is good in some ways because that's what makes things investable in. And we'll probably see like funding for DAO tooling go up a lot and that'll help fund the creation of this infrastructure. And then also I think it makes it more sustainable internally because, you know, like with, with NFTs, there's a, there's a way you can expect to support the team through NFT sales. And with DeFi, there's a way you can expect uh, to support the team through in-protocol revenue. With DAOs, it's still a little tricky. Is like, you know, what revenue is coming to a DAO that can then be used to pay contributors and to pay the bounties and to pay, you know, the, the infrastructure to main, maintain the infrastructure. So I think that still needs to be figured out. And really that comes down to like some kind of financialization where the, the DAO makes revenue in some way and then it can use that to, to pay everything. But then it's also, so the second thing is that it is the other way around too, is that the financialization doesn't matter if there's nothing to do with it, right? Like if, you know, a lot of these uh, governance tokens, their whole value prop is that you can vote with them. Um, but so, so there should be more robust voting infrastructure, right? Like voting is still, or at least for a long time, voting was just uh, set up a snapshot page and then do token weighted voting. Right. But there's like billions of dollars of, of value in these governance tokens held in these governance tokens. And there's billion, multi billions of dollars in liquidity locked in these protocols. So we need more robust infrastructure to, to manage voting to like for people to set up meritocracies or set up whatever kind of government they want. And then being able to allocate voting based off of different weights. So I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen outside of just like the financialization of it. Um, to just create like a more robust system. Yeah, I like this idea uh, that you mentioned here at the very end in terms of governance uh, not necessarily being driven by uh, financial kind of value. Uh, looking at that from the perspective of uh, being able to participate in governance, maybe based on your activity in a DAO versus your token holdings, because there is a cost to that. And while I think that there should be a cost to governance, um, I think that there should also be kind of that um, sense of how can we govern based on someone's kind of uh, reputation, activity, contributions uh, in an organization and being able to like build on that, right? I think some projects have uh, developed systems like through the governance, uh, governor model, right? They have stewards where... Uh, other communities or community members, excuse me, um, stake, you know, their vote onto their delegates. So at that point, there is uh, kind of, a, I guess, a level of uh, non-financialization where you don't have to have that, but the community then votes for you to lead that project in governance. Um, but I think even then, there's this uh, opportunity to recognize uh, the stewards who are actively participating in a community, uh, whether that is through conversation or other soft governance uh, through these forums and Discord, for instance, and even their uh, kind of their governance participation on platforms like Snapshot. It's like, how regularly active are you 
Are you connecting with your constituency? And uh, should this be taken into consideration when you are increasing someone's reputation so that they can then have a uh, bigger voice outside of maybe even the token delegation? Just a lot of interesting experiments that can happen. Uh, and certainly maybe through or outside of uh, platforms like Snapshot. Yeah, I think that there's, because uh, I think it's a continuously evolving system because I can think of some flaws, like the current stewardship models. Like a lot of times I think it ends up being uh, popularity contests, right? Where the biggest social media presence is able to garner the most votes. And you don't even, you don't even need the most votes people-wise because it's still token-weighted. So you just need a couple of uh, rich actors to delegate to you their stake. And now you're one of the top uh, stewards already, right? So I, I think there's, there's, like you said, there's more that can be done in the direction of um, having tangible ways of recognizing contribution besides uh, capital and voice or capital and influence, I guess. Recognizing labor, right? Like recognizing like, a consistency. I think that those, if if you could sort stewards by those metrics, I think that would be a, a healthier way to to choose or to identify who you, what delegate you'd like to, or what steward you'd like to delegate your your funds to. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. I think that there's still so much there to kind of experiment with, which is personally one of the more exciting uh, reasons why I show up every day. Uh, whether it is to hoax people and learn from you. Uh, here on Crypto Sapiens, or building out products uh, in that space of identity and reputation, uh, like over at Ontology Orange, uh, or even just being a DAO contributor across the Web3 ecosystem. There is just so much uh, yet to be uh, discovered and contributed to and to help evolve that ecosystem. Um, so I guess to maybe wrap up, if you wouldn't mind giving us like a, a projection or kind of your thoughts in terms of like what you think um, the future of Web3 uh, could potentially look like, maybe framed from the idea of identity and reputation, or as, as you started this conversation talking about from virtual land, uh, since uh, I believe that's kind of a space that you really are passionate about and occupy. Uh, what is what is your what is your vision for the future? And if if it's ideally a vision that you could control, what would that look like? Um, so so I think, um, yeah, because I think that the I think that the Web three is kind of like the infrastructure and the backbone, uh, like maybe the intangibles of of uh, society, right? Whereas the metaverse is more of like the physical, right? The virtual physical manifestation of society where you have like in, in the metaverse, I think of it mainly, you, you have uh, like buildings and you have like geographic locations that are virtual. You have like community spaces, you have um, avatars that you can interact with. And it's, it's very different than just like virtual reality, even though I think virtual reality is the, the easiest way to think about it. But I think that it is just like, is adding a more geographical layer to the internet. Um, whereas the internet right now is, is very search engine heavy. Like you search for what you need and there it is. Like metaverse kind of brings more of like a discovery element into the internet where you can like browse, you can virtually walk around and you can, you can interact with different things. Um, but in order for it to not just be like owned by, by corporations, right? Like we do need like a strong web three backbone where people can come and contribute 
uh, and there's ways to like recognize contribution and track contribution. So I think that both, I think that both, um, it's cool that both revolutions are happening around the same time because I think they're both, both help each other be more successful. Like if it was just one or the other, right? Like it wouldn't be as, as good, but I do imagine. Yeah. I, I see the technologies being adopted more. Um, but I think it's going to be led a lot by the new companies and these new projects, because I think these, these old companies or the, the current incumbents, you know, they're coming out and they're announcing metaverse initiatives. They're coming out and announcing web three initiatives, but I don't think they fully adopt them the way that we see it or we envision it. We see it being more like free and open. Um, and I don't want to get too philosophical. I like to stay practical, but I, I do think that like, yeah, th that we're building these systems now and we're more forward thinking because we're starting from scratch. So our business models are not tied to uh, acquiring and selling users data, right? So we have the freedom to think, okay, how can we design a system where the user makes money off of their data and we find a different way to be sustainable? Um, so those are kinds of those are the experiments that I'm most excited about is seeing like these new business models that can arise and these new interactions that can take place um, inside inside of the metaverse. Yeah, I see the metaverse more as like the world, whereas the Web three is like the 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 economic structure and the societal structure of that world. Like inside the metaverse, you'll be able to transact in crypto, buy and sell NFTs that represent your land, represent your your clothes and represent like your avatar and, and wh whatever it is like you'd want to do. And then that way creators can also get paid for that. So I, I think that all of these things work together. Yeah, that's good. Um, thank you for that. I, I, I like the idea of thinking of kind of uh, some sort of relationship between the two, I suppose, uh, the metaverse and Web3 and hopefully how each facilitates the other, right? How each... Uh, the adoption of one or the other is kind of uh, increasing the adoption, uh, you know, equally on the other side. One other thing that I like to ask to our guests, um, and this is the last question, is, you know, as we are a podcast that is positioned as kind of, you know, featuring or amplifying these voices of people in Web3, we like to learn about what who other people, what other people have been influential uh, you know, in our guests' crypto journey. So uh, it could be someone on crypto Twitter. It could be a book that you read, but certainly like who has been influential to you and in helping you along your crypto journey and really maybe even framing some of your own philosophies in how you build this ecosystem? Well, that's a good question. Um, oh, yeah, maybe you should ask me this question before so I could... You'll come up with a really good answer. I guess it's more like genuine if it's just off the top of my head. But um, I think that, uh, so my favorite project in this space uh, is like the, the Decentraland sandbox type projects um, because I think that they, they think about things very differently. Um, actually, I would say, I would say, so. okay. Okay, I have my answer. So my, so my answer is um, compound finance. So I think that, that seeing the, the project of compound when they came out with the C tokens, that really changed the way that I even I think about crypto. Uh, so Robert Leshner. So Robert Leshner, when, when I met him at East San Francisco, I think in 2018, 
and he was walking around and he was like, check this out. Like you can earn interest on your crypto. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Celsius or whatever. Like you give it like a bank. He's like, no, 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 no. It's all on chain. I'm like, what do you mean it's all on chain? What? It, how? And he shows us and it's like, it works. And it's like, this is some kind of scam. Like, no, it works. You lend it. And then it's, uh, it's pure to protocol. It's like you. It's like what? Okay. Oh, no, actually, I remember. It was like, oh, is it like ETHLEND where you like find a, a a lender, right? Or you find a borrower for your lend? It's like, nope. You put it in a pool, and you could make money off of it right now. And we're like, what? Like, so I looked into it, and that was that. That really was like mind blowing. Like the idea of like using uh, blockchain to create a system where you get ac- instant access to liquidity, right? As opposed to like a peer to peer marketplace. So that was the that was the first time that he blew my mind. Second time that it blew my mind was a year later when they came out with the C tokens. So now not only are you lending and borrowing and locking them in, but you get the receipt, right? The receipt token that is like this token is a, a like a like a loan, right? Like you lent it. It represents your loan. You lent it in there and it's earning interest. And then it's a receipt, right? So you can give that receipt to somebody else and now they have it. And so now it's like, you know, I was like, uh, th- this was, I think I'd eat Denver. And I was like, oh, if I have a hundred or if I have $25 of C tokens, it's earning interest. And if someone buys me a burger and I have to pay them for it, I'll give them the C tokens, right? Cause that's worth $25. Meanwhile, everybody at every, all times is earning interest, which I think is that, that was really like, that was how I started to understand like the money Legos concept of DeFi where, yeah, like, all money should be earning interest at all times, right? And you can only do that in a blockchain. Like that's that's something we talk about. Like, what are blockchain native use cases? When the internet started out, it was just like newspapers, right? Like people would think, like, oh, let me take a newspaper and put it online. So my website is just like uh, as if it was a newspaper or like an ad. What what does an ad look like? Like a like a billboard or like a magazine or like a phone book on the internet. It wasn't until like social media came out that we really started coming up with these like all oh, these like internet native use cases. So I think it's the same with blockchain. Like DeFi is a blockchain native use case. It's not just like lending and borrowing like recreated on chain, but it's like these new concepts like peer to protocol or like these um, the money Legos that really really change everything. So yeah, I think that was the most influential project in the space for me to to learn about. I like that. That's a great answer, and thank you for that. I, 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 the way that I'm taking that is, I think Compound did something innovative, uh, at the time revolutionary, and then it definitely influenced uh, the way that other projects uh, that developed in the DeFi space uh, started to operate. And the cool thing to see is that Compound still keeps going strong today. So uh, I think uh, for anyone who is developing anything that's innovative, novel in this space. If you come up with something, uh, you know, I think to the point that Eric was making in terms of, um, you know, having it be uh, taken advantage, full advantage of that like blockchain native application, but also building something that is of value to your community, it could potentially influence the way the other projects that are coming behind you develop. So I think that's really cool and amazing to kind of hear, you know, your experience with that early on. Uh, and then hopefully that also means that the works that the projects that you work on, uh, you bring that same sense of like innovation uh, and determination 
um, to hopefully influence the ecosystem in positive ways, as I know you do. So um, I, I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you um, also contributing to the many projects that you do. Thank you. Yeah, I encourage everyone to go and, uh, uh, you know, check or, or mint your model and see if you qualify for the drops. And, and if at any point when you're interacting with the system, if you have any ideas for like other cool models or things to, things that, that could be measured, that should be measured, that would be interesting to see in the form of a model or, a, or an orange, like reputation NFC drop, uh, let us know because I, we want to do more and more interesting drops that, that expand the way we think about what reputation NFTs can be used for and how do you measure reputation, expanding the way you think of how reputation is measured. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eric. I know I did. If you'd like to connect with Eric, you can find him on Twitter at Eric Pinos. And to learn more about Orange Protocol, go to orangeprotocol.io and on Twitter at Orange Protocol. You can also find more conversations like this one by visiting our website at cryptosapiens.xyz. I look forward to reconnecting with you at our next discussion.